0: Hi, this is ST host of the Friday A Public Affair. I hope you help us by contributing to W O R T and you can also subscribe to the podcast. Bye.
1: Six foot six above sea level. I grabbed the mic because I like to take you to
0: another mental level. Low power frequency radio modulation. The big sound from underground, another pirate station. We bring the truth to places. No change without struggle, no one in power ain't giving up nothing. No change without struggle, no one in power. WORT 89.9 FM, listener-sponsored community radio, Madison, Wisconsin. And hello, welcome to A Public Affair, I am Esti Dinor. Our guest today is Anjanette Damon. She's a reporter at ProPublica who focuses on government accountability. Prior to joining ProPublica, she worked at the Reno Gazette Journal and USA Today Network as a government watchdog reporter and regional investigative editor. Her investigation of in-custody deaths at the Washoe County Jail resulted in legislative action and was recognized as a finalist for an O. A public service award. Her series on deplorable living conditions faced by people with severe mental illness under state care prompted immediate action by Nevada's governor and legislation to improve oversight of the housing program. In 2019, she was lead reporter and writer on season two of The City, a USA Today investigative podcast. She's based in Reno, Nevada. What uh, caught our eye today is her article, Why Outlawing Ghost Guns Didn't Stop America's Largest Maker of Ghost Gun Parts, though we may be talking about these other um, investigations, too. Um, Hello, Anjanette, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Hi, thanks for
0: having me. So what exactly are ghost guns?
1: Yeah, it's uh, a... they've been around now for a little while but not everybody's heard of them basically ghost guns are privately assembled firearms um you can make a handgun you can make a rifle uh, using parts that don't have serial numbers so basically you can buy the parts without a background check or complying with any of the country's other gun control laws you can buy all the parts, put them all together pretty easily and have yourself a virtually untraceable firearm um, that's and it's called ghost gun. Um, because when they are used in a crime, um, it, law enforcement really has no way of, of tracking where that gun was, was purchased or manufactured or who owned it. Why, why
0: is it important to be able to trace a gun?
1: Yeah, that's a a good question. I think some people uh, would argue that that is a violation of the Second Amendment rights. Certainly um, the subject of of the story that I wrote about who owns the company that makes the parts for Ghost Guns would say that. Um, But, you know, the firearms with a serial number, police are able to see many times who purchased the gun, where the gun was sold, at what store how the gun was distributed to that particular store, uh, who the manufacturer was. Um, For instance, uh, the the very sad mass shooting in Highland Park this year, um, if I'm remembering correctly, that that rifle was ditched and uh, law enforcement was able to trace that gun back to the person that they eventually arrested for that shooting
0: uh-huh okay how how many ghost guns are on the street nowadays what what do we know
1: i i don't think anybody knows like how what what that number would be the the statistics that we do have come from uh police confiscation of guns um and so the atf published some numbers i'm just trying to to uh find them here they They really started coming on the scene in about 2016, and that year um, there was something like uh, fewer than 2,000 ghost guns confiscated by law enforcement. In 2021, that number jumped to 19,000 ghost guns confiscated by law enforcement. And again, that would be just a a percentage of the overall number that are really out there in circulation. These are just the guns that law enforcement has come across uh, because they were used in a crime.
0: Mm -hmm. But we can see clearly that the use of them has increased significantly. Yes, yeah. Um, do we know how many of them have been used to commit crimes, including murder or, or is that also a mystery at this point?
1: I think that I think those numbers are out there. Individual law enforcement agencies are, are tracking that. I haven't seen um, specific data on that. Um, something tells me, yeah, I don't want to say. I've seen I've seen a bunch of numbers, but I I don't want to say anything incorrect. Um, but the yeah, the number of guns that law enforcement comes to, comes across um, have been used. Either they were um, possessed illegally by someone who wasn't legally able to possess that particular gun or a gun in general, or they were used in in a crime like you like you mentioned.
0: Mm-hmm. And what do we know about uh, who uses them?
1: So, I think it, it's pretty broad. There are individuals that like to build firearms. Um, they're they're fan. You know, I've seen videos and talked with people and and read articles about people that it's kind of a, a hobby or a craft. Um, parents sometimes will build firearms with their with their children and you know, there's various kits that make this easier to do, um, or you can really just do it from scratch. Uh, and, you know, I don't think that there's anybody in, in law enforcement or policy that are saying that kind of activity is something that needs necessarily to be regulated. The problem comes when um, basically criminals want to use guns for criminal activity and they're able to do so without um, the normal, uh, tracing mechanisms that are out there. And also the ghost gun kits, and I think this is why ghost guns really proliferated is because companies like Polymer 80, who I wrote about, who's based here in in Nevada, instead of just like selling the parts piecemeal, they began putting all of the parts together in a kit. And so you're able to buy this kit and use all the parts in the kit um, with your own tools to very easily build this gun. And you don't have to go through a background check. Um, You don't have to be 18 or 21 um, to buy it. You can just go onto the internet, buy these kits, build yourself a gun. Um, So law enforcement has seen that occur. They found guns in the possession of people who aren't legally able to possess them. Uh, In Baltimore, they've seen um criminal rings basically buying in bulk these kits and having these little like chop shops set up where they assemble the firearms and then and then sell them um you know that's that's already an illegal activity you can't sell um you can't put together a gun and sell a gun without the right kind of licensing um so that, that there are laws that exist to address that um however these This particular product was um taken advantage of loopholes in federal laws and state laws and in some local laws in order to evade those um the existing gun control laws that we have
0: mm-hmm. well, so um, let's go to the gun laws and and I have to say, I think that generally speaking, The gun laws are very weak. Um, I do not object to guns in general, but I do object to um, the way very young people can get AR-15s about how uh, weak the background checks are when they even exist. Um, and and it seems like this really adds to that. So let's talk about Nevada's Assembly Bill 286 and uh, what it is, how did it come to be, and how it fared from there.
1: Yeah, um, so Assembly Bill 286 was come to be known as Nevada's ghost gun legislation, um, it was uh, sponsored by Assemblywoman Hartegi, a Las Vegas Democrat, um, who was in the the majority of the legislature. Um, she sponsored it. But the gun, but the bill also was really pushed and um, essentially crafted by um, anti-gun violence groups like Everytown and uh, Giffords Law Center. Um, they saw. One, they were responding to violence in in a lot of large cities, mayors and police departments who are starting to see this proliferation of ghost guns. And they were recognizing that most of the ghost guns, the vast majority of the ghost guns that they were coming across were made from polymer 80 parts. Um, Polymer 80 would stamp P80 on the parts and and these ghost guns um, in many ways became synonymous with polymer 80 on the streets. Apparently they, some streets they're called polys. Um, And so the anti-gun violence activists saw Nevada as a special opportunity to Um, kind of stem the flow of these parts to the rest of the country. If they could come to Nevada, pass a law that made it illegal to possess or manufacture or assemble um, the parts, the component parts, that would basically put polymer 80 out of business, at least in Nevada. I mean, there would be nothing stopping polymer 80 from moving their manufacturing facility somewhere else. But if they couldn't possess and transport the parts of the ghost guns, from this company in Nevada, then that would go a long ways towards stopping the supply of ghost guns to the rest of the country. Um, so, it, you know, it was um, one of the more closely watched and heavily debated bills of the session in 2021. Um, there were very long um, and sometimes tense debates and public comment periods over whether or not banning the possession of ghost guns and banning the possession of the parts for ghost guns uh, violated second Men- second amendment rights or whether this was truly a public safety measure gun control measure to to try and uh halt the violence or or <laughs> at least lessen the violence that were that's being committed with these guns um and yeah it eventually it passed on a party line vote and um as it, as it stands today, in Nevada you can't possess a ghost gun. Now, the if you read the headline of the story, uh, you read that, you know, how outlying ghost guns didn't actually stop the country's largest manufacturer of ghost gun parts. Um, in an interesting moment that wasn't actually reported at the time, uh, the bill was being debated, The owner of polymer 80, a man named Lauren Kelly, who doesn't give a lot of uh, press interviews. I don't think he wasn't a recognizable name in Nevada politics or in many circles in Nevada. And so maybe this is why this went unnoticed, but he called in during one of the hearings on the bill and basically said, look, I'm neutral on this bill. I don't care what you do. I don't care what you pass. I'm just gonna, I'm saying right now, we're not gonna follow this law. We, I think his quote was, as Americans, we will not comply. Um, And that was a a bit of foreshadowing uh, because after the law was passed, um, he didn't just straight up not comply with the law, but he did, uh, take the state to court, and he took the state to court in um, a town called Urington. It's a, a small um, rural town near where uh, Polymer 80 is based, and successfully argued to a judge that the language of the law that was passed in Nevada was too was too ambiguous and unconstitutionally vague to the point where it would be. Um, either discriminatory or impossible to enforce, because uh, police would basically uh, just be able to interpret on the spot what actually was a ghost gun part and what wasn't. Um, And so the judge uh, agreed with that argument. Um, The state obviously put up a big defense and said no this law defines what uh, a receiver an unfinished receiver is or an unfinished frame and we can talk a little bit more about what those parts are Um, but the judge vacated the part of the law that would prevent someone from possessing or transporting those main components the pieces of the ghost gun that polymer 80 makes and so because of that victory in, in that small courtroom, Polymer 80 was able to continue selling their product across the country.
0: Mm-hmm. What do we know about the judge? Is he one that was uh, nominated by Trump? Or do, do we know much about his previous uh, rulings?
1: Yeah, he's, um, he's an elected judge. He was elected by the community mm-hmm. where Polymer 80 was. Um, lives, Um, so the people who work at Polymer 80 are in this judge's community. Um, I think what is perhaps notable is that, you know, the gun culture in rural America can be very different than the gun culture in in larger cities. And so, you know, on the streets of Yarrington, Nevada, or Dayton, Nevada, these small towns in um, the rural part of the state. They're not really encountering the kind of violence that's happening on the streets of Baltimore, Baltimore or or L.A., um, for example. And so that that culture. um, Perhaps like creates a more friendly venue for this kind of this kind of argument and not to mention that the judges constituents are the people who work work there. So, you know, his. the judge's critics, you know, I think the judge has a, a strong reputation in Nevada. I have not seen a lot of criticism of him as, as a judge. He has decisions that have gone um, before appeal. He has a fairly low error rate, as calculated by some observers that um, watch what happens in Nevada courtrooms um he just he was persuaded by this argument he okay so if we want to take a step back and talk about what the law targeted is are these unfinished frames and receivers so an unfinished yeah. frame is the lower part of a handgun uh, that basically all the other parts are fitted onto and polymer 80 creates the manufactures these frames and because they're only 80 percent finished which is where the 80 comes from they aren't subject to the federal gun control laws. So they're not required to have a serial number on them. Um, but what the judge was trying to decide is like, well, when does it become a finished frame? Um, when is it 80%, when is it 70%? If you just have a hunk of plastic that kind of looks like a gun, does is that hunk of plastic subject to this law? And he used one analogy in which he wanted to perhaps um, Fashion a rubber band gun for his five-year-old. Um, if you've ever seen these, you know, carved wooden um, toy guns that will shoot a rubber band, um, he said, well, you know, it kind of looks like a gun. Would this be subject to the law? And the lawyer arguing for the state was like, well, no, this piece of wood, has, you have no intention of creating a firearm out of it. You wouldn't be prosecuted under this law for that. Um, and that's the argument that the state will be taking up on appeal because the state has appealed um, Judge Lego mulchs decision in Yerington. Um, so it, it very well could be that that decision is is reversed. Um, but, you know, there's also, we, we can talk a little bit more about the, the changes that are starting to occur on the federal level to address yeah. this.
0: Yeah, yeah, I was just going to ask you about that because the federal gun bill, uh, was signed into law uh, recently, following the murders of of kids and teachers in in Uvalde and um, several other mass shootings, um, and the reaction was mixed, as it is for it seems everything you know, right? We we just had the uh, student debt. Um, not bill, um, but uh, Biden just passed that, and it's um, the right wing. Of course, is screaming that it's a lot of money, and the left wing uh, wanted it to be a lot more than it wasn't, and, and it was the same basically with the federal gun bill. But um, did it? To what degree did it? Um, apply to the situation that we're talking about with ghost guns.
1: Yeah, unfortunately, that bill did not address ghost guns at all. Um, you know, that was a pretty targeted uh, piece of legislation that lawmakers were able to get bipartisan agreement on after these tragedies um, occurred around the country, or have been occurring around the country. Um, uh, so that that particular bill, did it was silent on ghost guns. Um, basically the the um strategy by those who think that ghost guns need to be controlled or better regulated has been this kind of state by state approach where, the, where they will go to state legislator legislatures and um argue uh, for prohibitions on a state level or even a city level um and that uh, you know, they say that works, but it's not really what needs to happen, in their opinion, is a federal, a federal fix. And um, just this week, actually, uh, a, a move towards a federal fix actually occurred. Uh, there were um, four cities who sued the federal government, specifically sued um, the ATF, uh, to basically rewrite their rules and regulations to uh, Change the definition of what needs a serial number, and therefore is subject to the um, the gun control laws in the in the country. And that rule actually took effect this week. And so, under federal regulation, ghost guns, new ghost guns, and ghost gun parts are are illegal. Um, Polymer 80, if they're following this regulation, now needs to put a serial number on their frames and receivers. Um, the the issue again (laughs) is that uh the gun industry um and and pro gun groups have sued there are three lawsuits pending against the enforcement of this new rule um they so far they've been unsuccessful two judges uh refused to um to pass a prelim- preliminary injunction or a temporary restraining order against enforcement of the rule. So the lawsuits will continue, um, but those two judges did not see fit to put a temporary halt on the rule as the as the lawsuits made their way through the court system.
0: But we know that the way these things work is then they go to... Um another location another judge and try it with um somewhat uh, different wording and um it doesn't end when um a judge refuses to see it right
1: yeah i mean the judge the the lawsuits are proceeding is just the um their their attempt was to get a, a a temporary block on enforcement of the rule before Mm. there was a final, final ruling. And there is a third lawsuit. It's still being briefed. um, And potentially that judge could decide, yeah, we should put a halt on enforcing this rule until we can hear the full legal arguments. um, But so far, so yeah, there, there are legal challenges that, that may put an end to this ATF rule. And, you know, part of the argument that they have is that, This is the administration, the executive branch who is promulgating a regulation or a rule. And this isn't necessarily what Congress or what the legislative branch meant when they passed uh, the laws that they've passed. And so I think that that is one argument that the judges will be assessing is whether or not this should be done through Congress, through passing a law rather than um, promulgating a rule or a, a Uh, executive branch regulation.
0: Mm-hmm. My guest is Aunt Jeanette Damon She's a reporter at ProPublica Who focuses on government Accountability We're talking about her recent article Why outlawing ghost guns didn't stop America's largest maker Of ghost gun parts You're welcome to join the conversation At 608-256-2001 Extension 9 You can also join us on social media At talk on Twitter And a public affair on um, facebook so um you were talking and janet about the role of the atf the bureau of alcohol tobacco and firearms and uh one thing that i find as at least somewhat beguiling is that originally the atf approved the non-serialized parts how, how do you explain that
1: yeah, that and that's why critics of these products say that they're exploiting loopholes. And basically what Polymer80 and other companies have done is they, again, if you have a finished frame or receiver that um, is complete, that part needs a serial number. And so, what the industry has figured out how to do is to make that part just complete enough that <laughs> that it's easy to assemble into a gun, but doesn't complete, but is not fully complete. And so, what what Polymer 80 and other companies did is they took that single part and they took it to the ATF and they said, hey. Well, you look at this part and tell us whether or not this needs a serial number. And ATF looked at it and said, no, you're right, it doesn't have, you know, the the necessary parts and um, it's not fully machined and it's it's not a complete receiver or frame. So yeah, you don't have to put you don't have to put a, a serial number on it. What the company then did was start marketing these more complete kits. So the kit would include the part that the ATF said is fine, you don't need a serial number, but it would also include the jig, um, which is basically like the pattern um, that you would use to saw and, and finish machining uh, this receiver into a complete receiver. It included So it included the framer receiver, the jig, and the other parts that needed to be assembled. And then you could just basically buy this gun it's unassembled you still have to assemble it but you could basically buy that Um, and when after those became popular enough and law enforcement started seeing these at crime scenes and in the possession of of criminals uh across the country uh the atf actually did take another look at that and at least two investigators said you know this this actually violates the gun control law we think uh, they got a judge to approve a search warrant and they went in and did a raid of polymer 80s facility in Dayton. Um, in i believe it was december 2020. that case is still pending um and it's been sealed so i don't know what the status of it is nobody's been arrested Um, Polymer 80 says they're still having positive discussions with the ATF on on that investigation. Uh, But when you read, they they did unseal the search warrant affidavit in that particular uh, search warrant, um, that particular raid. And, you know, it cited uh, evidence that Polymer 80 was selling these kits to individuals who could not legally possess a firearm, people who had criminal backgrounds. They found some evidence that these guns were being sold um, potentially to foreign countries. Um, and and in their view, when you put the, the frame in a kit with the other parts, it's essentially a firearm and should be subject to the, the uh, serial number Roles. yeah
0: yeah so um you said that ghost Gun started um showing up on the streets at around 2016 so that's not that long ago tell us uh, more about Laurent kelly and polymer 80 um who who is the guy um when did the company start um producing these ghost guns? Uh, how many people are employed in that? How much money does he make out of that? What What do we know?
1: Yeah, I can answer some of those questions. Um, again, Polymer 80 is a bit press shy. Uh, Lauren Kelly has not um, given a lot of interviews. Um, somehow uh, I persuaded him to talk to me for about an hour. And during that hour, he repeatedly said, I can't believe I'm telling you so much. I, Usually, I really don't talk to reporters like this, <laughs> mm. but it was a—it was—I would say it was a super interesting conversation with him. So, Polymer 80 was founded in 2013 um, in Vacaville, California. Lauren Kelly and his father, Lauren Kelly Senior, and a partner, David Borges—I um, think I'm pronouncing his name right—the um, three of them founded the company again in Vacaville, California. Uh, They found California's regulations and taxes a little too burdensome for uh, the gun manufacturing business that they were in. So they decided to move their company to Nevada, uh, which has um, substantially less (laughs) less taxes, lower taxes, um, fewer regulations. Um, So they just found a more welcoming regulatory environment here in Nevada to pursue their business. Um, In about in 2016, they actually do have a federal firearm manufacturer's license. So they also produce your more traditional firearms that have the serial number and that you need the background check for. But the larger part of their business is um, the manufacture of these these ghost gun parts um, and the ghost gun kits we'll see how much longer they're able to <laughs> sustain that part of their business given the changing regulatory environment at the federal level um but you know lauren kelly um he's a deeply libertarian fellow he sees himself and his company as standing up for um not just second second amendment rights but uh, Privacy rights, Fourth Amendment rights. He doesn't believe that the you know the government should be able to to track uh, what you purchase when you purchase it. Um, and so he he describes his clientele as people who value those rights as well and want to be able to engage in a constitutionally protected activity. Um, of assembling their own firearms and possessing their own firearms outside of the government
0: eye. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Rochelle, um, our producer, commented earlier that um, ghost guns seem like something that would be of interest to survivalists and anti-federalists, Bundy types, and, and um, I think that's kinda who you're talking about, right?
1: I would imagine so. My my reporting didn't actually take me into those circles, so I mm-hmm. can't say that with certainty. But, um, yeah, I would say that, that people that run in those circles share those same deeply held feelings about the Second Amendment and um, and the Fourth Amendment and other constitutional rights.
0: Yeah. And um, do you know what the wealth of Lauren Kelly is? Uh, has, has he made a lot of money out of that?
1: Yeah, I don't. I, I don't know what the company's financials are. Um, the there are some court documents, um, and I you know I imagine that in discovery, uh, there there are a number of lawsuits actually against Polymer Ed as a business, and I imagine there's um, in, disc, in the discovery material there's probably more information that could be had about um, the financials of the company. It's just not something that I I dug up for this particular story, um, but the. The search warrant affidavit um, had some figures. They found that the company sold about fifty-two thousand, or shipped about fifty-two thousand packages across the country within about an eighteen-month period. Hmm. So, um, you know, that's a that's a fair amount of volume. Um, these ghost gun kits are several hundred dollars. Um, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, you know some of their finished firearms, five hundred to a thousand dollars. Some of their higher end weapons could be even more than that. So um, I, it does seem to be a lucrative enough business. They employ. Um, Mr. Kelly told me that that the number of employees kind of fluctuates, but right now they have about fifty people working for them.
0: Mm-hmm. So let's talk about these lawsuits against Polymer AD. One of them is by uh, Baltimore, a new actually did interview the mayor, Brandon Brandon Scott. What did you learn from him? Why um, is Baltimore suing Polymer 80?
1: So um, Baltimore, Maryland is another state that decided they passed a law just in June, very recently, that prohibits ghost guns. Um, But prior to that, Maryland does have other gun control laws that are a little more stringent than the federal law and definitely more stringent than what existed in in Nevada at the time. Um, And and under those laws, you need to have a a license in order to possess a handgun. And only guns that are listed on a state registry as being approved for sale in the state um, can be sold. The polymer 80... Guns are not on that registry. So they're arguing that Polymer 80 um, violated the state and local gun control laws by selling their kits into the state and into the city. Um, and and so that lawsuit is... And they, they also are seeking to hold the company accountable for the violence and I think want to see some monetary penalties. There was another lawsuit um, that... Uh, there was a decision in last week by a very similar lawsuit by uh, Washington D.C., which made similar similar arguments that Polymer 80 was evading, uh, essentially breaking um, local gun control laws by selling their products into the district. And uh, the judge did find in favor of of the district and um, assessed about a, if I'm remembering correctly, a four million dollar penalty against. Polymer 80 um, hmm. for selling those products. So they're they're seeking they're kind of taking this argument to the company itself and saying, look, you are you are um, selling a product that is specifically designed to evade these laws that we have in place, and it's resulting in violence in our streets. And we think that you should be held accountable for that. Um, the city attorney of Los Angeles has sued on behalf of the people of California. There were two um, in a separate lawsuit, two um, Los Angeles County deputies were um, shot by an individual with a ghost gun. They're suing Polymer polymer 80 as well. So um, the company has a fair amount of uh, legal challenges on their hands to contend with.
0: Mhm. And um with your article at least um the version that I saw there is a uh, video titled Fire Sale Dealers Rush to Sell Ghost Gun Parts Before Restrictions Take Effect um is there
1: a big rush to uh, buy more of these guns? I think um there were the dealers, and I didn't I didn't see this specifically on Polymer80's site, um, but the dealers, so, you know, Polymer80 is the manufacturer and provides um, products to dealers who then sell it to the end user. And according to that article, which I, I didn't write, um, but it, that those dealers were trying to offload their inventory, which... Um, they which were about to become illegal ahead of the new atf rule that went into effect on wednesday Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: but as far as the demand for i mean there is there's obviously a a demand if you go onto social media um you know and again there's like a legit legitimate demand from people who don't want to use these products for criminal activities or necessarily evade gun control laws um and, and so you see, you know, on social media, you see a lot of that, you see a lot of discussion, you see a lot of people that are showing off their builds or asking questions about, you know, what, what went wrong with their build. And um, there's kind of this hobbyist community out there, obviously. Um, but again, just the the uh, the evidence on the ground, that law enforcement are finding these big kind of ghost gun chop shops and uh, the number of guns in criminal hands um, has given rise to these lawsuits and legal challenges and attempts to to fix that.
0: Yeah. Um, so we have a little time to go into some of your other um, pieces as, and what they reveal, but before we do that, I just want to um, see if there's anything else you wanted to say about ghost guns before we close that topic.
1: Um, I think it'll be... I think it'll be interesting to see where this continued fight goes. Um, Lauren Kelly says that Polymer 80 is on the forefront of defending uh, the second amendment rights of all Americans right now. <laughs> um, there's other people that have joined him in that fight. Uh, you see a lot of um, uh, interest groups and political groups and activist groups, some of which um, would even go beyond the, um, the NRA in terms of of trying to stand up for for gun possession um, that have joined polymer 80 in this fight. And um, so I I don't it's, it's not done yet. I think this issue is going to probably extend for a while.
0: Mhm, and we'll probably hear about it more so um, let's you know I, I think I want to start with um, your investigations not your most recent ones but um, the investigation of in custody deaths at the Washoe County um, jail which actually brought about legislative action which uh, congratulations to you on that and also on uh, being a finalist for, um, for a public service award. But uh, what, what did you discover as you looked into that topic?
1: Yeah, so this was several years ago. I believe I started looking into it maybe in 2015, but it took a year and a half to really investigate. Um, and this is, Washoe County is where Reno, Nevada is located. So it's the um, the largest city in the northern part of the state. And um, what happened, I was just at my desk in the newsroom when I worked for the Reno Gazette Journal, and I got a phone call from um, an anonymous person who said, hey, you know, there's been a suicide and several other attempts. I think three people have died in the last short while at the Washoe County Jail. You need to look at what's going on up there. And so I said, yeah, that's strange. Usually the jail, you know, I had been a, a police reporter in this community for years um, before I went into um, political reporting and legislative and government reporting. And usually the jail would put out a press release if there was a death, in-custody in death. And I had seen nothing from the jail. So I put in a records request um, to get some data to find out, you know, are suicides occurring there? What's happening in the jail? And the numbers I got back um, to me were, were quite shocking. Not only were there a high number of suicides, there were also um, medical deaths, natural deaths, there were overdoses, there were um, homicides, uh, individuals who died while in a struggle with deputies. And none of that had been put out in a press release. It hadn't been reported on. Um, and the numbers um, were were quite surprising they they represented a huge increase. I think in in the years prior to me looking into this there have been maybe one or two deaths over over a five or ten year period. It's been a little while so I can't remember the specific numbers and those numbers jumped up to like 12 13 deaths. Um, year so uh yeah it was kind of looking into and seeing breaking that into different um so you know why why are there more suicides why are there people dying while in medical care of this facility why are there people dying um, while in struggles with deputies and looking into those kind of three issues at the jail um, and found a number of issues lack of training um, lack of replacing uh, furniture and hardware within the cells that that made suicide a danger, um, and a, and a contract with a private medical care provider that um, just really wasn't up to standards, and they weren't they weren't meeting what they were required to do, or providing the care that they needed to be providing.
0: Mm-hmm. So, um, did you get to follow up on it later after the legislative action? Uh, are things better there now?
1: Yeah, there there have been, uh, it it was several years before someone died, again after that uh-huh. series. Um, but there have been there have been a handful of of deaths there, um, but the number of deaths decreased significantly after that series came out.
0: Mm-hmm. Did any of the uh, the people working in the jail did any of them face any consequences?
1: There was one, there was, there was one death, um, Included a man who was suffering from some um, pretty severe mental health issues. um, And he, uh, he was tackled and pinned on his stomach uh, by deputies who taunted him. um, And he ended up dying. And I believe the sergeant Who was in charge of that group of deputies faced some disciplinary action Hmm. um but you know yeah there wasn't there was there weren't like any kind of indictments or um terminations or anything like that but Mm -hmm. um i think you know it did it brought greater awareness there was there were some changes to the contract with the, the healthcare provider. Um, there's some more attention to. And it's been, I mean, it's been several years now, so it's probably worth going back and doing some more reporting to see what's what's happening these days. I think you know the jail populations have changed um a lot, especially during the pandemic. Um, and jails tend to be in this community and others, uh kind of the the place. Where the community tends to put people who are experiencing difficulties with their mental health, um, so you yeah. see a huge percentage of people with mental illness in, in jails because that's the the other resources just are not available in the community for getting the care that they need.
0: Yeah. So um, just briefly, um, just as we were done talking about uh, ghost guns, um, a listener asked, and I don't know if you know the answer, but uh, he asked, are guns made by 3D printing also becoming a problem today? Um, Richelle says, yes. News recently out of Calgary, Canada and Houston. And she actually gave me a a link there. But is that uh, something you can respond to very briefly?
1: Yeah, I you know people are definitely 3D printing guns and it's been a concern for law enforcement. Uh, again, so far the data has shown that the vast majority of ghost guns that are being confiscated by police are made from polymer 80 parts and not necessarily the the 3D printed parts, but there is definitely a market for that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um well and that also is kind of untraceable, isn't it? I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, so that that is the problem. So um, while you were talking about how people with um, mental health issues are incarcerated in jails, Uh, you also um, did a series about the deplorable living conditions faced by people with severe mental illness under state care, um, which that also prompted action by Nevada's governor on legislation to improve oversight. Um,
1: can you tell us about that? Um, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, state governments, local governments, county governments have always struggled with providing um, not only health Care for people with mental illness, but also housing. I think one of the most important foundational parts of someone's care is that they have a safe, clean place to live. Um, and because of the Supreme Court decision years ago that um, pretty much outlawed uh, institutionalizing individuals and giving them agency in deciding where they live, um, the the state in Nevada has relied on contracts with private uh, companies, in some cases nonprofits, but mostly private companies to provide um, housing for their clients with mental illness. Um, and in this case, uh, because of a shortage of providers, they started relying on, on one provider who was absolutely ill-equipped to be providing this service. And so many of the homes that uh, this company was running um, were in just absolutely deplorable conditions. Um, they, unsanitary conditions, broken um, plumbing and glass. And the story actually came to my attention um, from a family who rented their house to this company to provide housing for their clients. And um, they, when they went back into the the house, they were just appalled that people had been living like this. And they brought, brought that to my attention. And that's how this, that particular investigation um, happened. And, you know, I'm, I'm sad to say that, yeah, the, the governor immediately took action. Um, the Health and Human Services Department took action. The legislature took action. But, you know, several years later, an audit done by the legislature found very similar problems were still occurring um, in these housing conditions, which um, just shows that it, it's a difficult, difficult nut to crack. Um, But you know, the state has the responsibility for for providing adequate care and adequate living conditions and they just haven't been doing it.
0: Yeah, which is uh, terrible. And um, very sad. But let me ask you, we have only about five minutes left. Uh, your Some of your more recent stories have been uh, or were related to COVID. One is a COVID testing company that missed 96% of cases, which sounds like a total case of um government corruption that that allowed that? Uh, I'm assuming there's some connections between the company's heads and, and some politicians. And the other one is most cited study promoting ivermectin appears to be fraudulent, which is not surprising to me. But what can you tell us about that in about four minutes?
1: <laughs> yeah, that was, I mean, that story was just kind of... Um, nuts and uh uh, so a chicago laboratory was expanding across the country um exponentially in nevada they hooked up with two individuals who had uh, relationships with the governor and with other um, lobbyists who had a lot of access in the state um, and I think, you know, we need to be careful in, in what is corruption, which is kind of like a pay to play or a breaking of, of um, ethics laws or other kinds of laws in the state. And what's simply like relying on access to decision makers in order to get a toehold in, in a market. And I think that's kind of what happened here. And um, the, this company was able to get contracts with, with the Washoe County Health District or I'm sorry, Washoe County itself, the school district here, the university, they were set up to start providing tests for thousands of people um, then Omicron hit and um, they were totally overwhelmed. But uh, there was a doctor at the university who was noticing that these, the tests provided by North Shore um, were coming up negative when people actually had symptoms and they had had an exposure, they were obviously sick. So she started doing this, Double blind um, test and sending samples to the state lab and to North Shore, the Chicago lab said, Oh, yeah, these people are negative. And the state lab was like, No, these people are positive. So she was able to document that um, for some reason, whether it was the way the sample was collected, the way the sample was stored or transported, or the way the sample was tested, or, you know, there's some suggestion that the sample. Wasn't even tested in some cases because the lab was so overrun. Um, there was a breakdown, and, and so people just were not getting accurate results from this company.
0: Yeah. What about the ivermectin um, study?
1: I am not familiar with that study. That wasn't part of my my
0: reporting. Oh, okay. Um, It was under your... um...
1: Oh, no, I'll have to go look at that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I I did not um, have the time to read the actual piece, so I did not know that you didn't write it, but it sounds um, worth reading. Um, So let's, well, we have only... um, Only a minute and a half left, so I guess we should not go into any other uh, big topics such as election deniers (laughs) organized to seize control of the GOP and reshape America's elections. And we know that this is happening all over the country. I don't know. Can you talk about that in one minute?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's happening in Wisconsin, too. It's just um, people that are loyal to Trump um, are are trying to put themselves in positions from the very grassroots bottom of the election system all the way to the top in order to have um, some influence over how elections are run. Um, And yeah, we're seeing that in states across the country.
0: Yeah, yeah, they're very well organized and... um... I think it is changing the country and not for the better. Um, thank you so very much. Um, and Jeanette Damon, reporter for uh, ProPublica, who focuses on government accountability um, and who has made a difference, as, as we talked definitely about with these two investigations. Um, thank you so very much for joining us today.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me.
0: Bye, and thanks uh, as usual to Summer and Richelle for uh, their help producing this show. I'm STD Noor, we'll be talking again next week. Bye bye.